This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. La Nina has hammered Eastern Australia during the last couple of summers. Across Queensland and New South Wales, so many communities have experienced unprecedented flooding. And political leaders from across the parties are now acknowledging that climate change is contributing to the extreme weather. In this quiz shortcut, we'll separate the weather from the climate and get into the discussion about keeping communities safe into the future. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, we've just had our second soggy summer thanks to La Nina. I've just said that like I know what I'm talking about, but there is a lot behind the weather system. So let's start off with some facts. We know from experience it's about bringing rain to Australia's east. Yeah, and its remit is above average rainfall. Uh, It also brings cooler daytime temperatures to areas south of the tropics uh, and a greater chance of tropical cyclones. Yeah, and squizzers might remember that Cyclone Seth ushered in the new year with heavy rain and big surf battering southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. And La Nina has a lot to do with wind. Right, and it's specifically trade winds that blow east to west uh, near the equator in our neighbourhood. Uh, And when that wind picks up, it changes the ocean current by drawing up cooler water uh, from the depths of the Pacific Ocean uh, and pushes the warmer water west towards Australia and Asia. And the warmer the ocean, the greater the chance of rain because it evaporates more quickly and that then condenses into clouds and then the rain comes. Claire, La Nina is actually a Spanish word. It means the sister. It does. And she has a sibling called El Nino, uh, which means the brother. Uh, Broadly, La Nina and El Nino are part of the same weather pattern called the El Nino Southern Oscillation System or ENSO. Uh, It's been raining and cool here. Uh, South America, though, has been hit by soaring high temperatures and a dry spill. Uh, Brazil and Argentina are in their second consecutive year of drought, which is wreaking havoc on their agricultural sector, just like it did here in Australia during that long and very painful drought uh, that ended in 2019. We'll come back to the drought a little bit later in the shortcut, Claire, but let's just unpack the weather systems a bit more. Enzo helps us understand the east coast of Australia, but the west coast is driven by another weather system. That's right. The ocean that meets the West Australian coast is the Indian Ocean, so the weather system there is guided by the imaginatively named Indian Ocean Dipole. Uh, So it is defined by the difference in sea temperatures between two areas or poles, and that's why it's called a dipole. One of them is in the Arabian Sea in the Western Indian Ocean uh, and an eastern pole is in the Eastern Indian Ocean south of Indonesia. Uh, in July last year, the Weather Bureau declared that it was a negative Indian Ocean dipole and that was the first time for five years. That tipped the odds towards a wetter than average spring in southern Australia, so like a La Nina cycle on the east coast. And while the Weather Bureau says that's now switched back to neutral, it meant that a lot of the country was very wet before summer even arrived in December last year. Claire, there's one more weather factor that we need to get across, something called the Southern Annular Mode, or SAM. 
Yep, to continue our family analogy, uh, the Indian Ocean Dipole and Sam could be cousins to Enzo. Uh, Sam is another wind reference. Basically, when it's positive, like it is at the moment, the winds blow onshore, which increases moisture and rain to the continent southeast. Okay, so there's a lot of information here for those of us who aren't weather forecasters. Bottom line, Claire, it's been very soggy for a long time. We know that summers in Australia are normally moist and the monsoon occurs in northern Australia from November to March. But this year, the combination of La Nina and negative Indian Ocean Dipole plus the positive southern annular mode means it's been seriously wet. Yep, and there's a bit more to come on Australia's east coast because La Nina is hanging around. All right, that's the weather systems taken care of. The other factor we need to consider here is our changing climate. Let's get into that next. The conversation about weather systems isn't proxy for climate change. And what I mean by that is that weather is a different thing to climate. So Claire, let's start with a broad definition of climate change, which refers to long-term and sustained shifts in temperature and weather patterns. Yeah, that's right. And some of those shifts might be natural, uh, say through changes that occur to the sun's activity, which is known as a solar cycle. Uh, One of those cycles runs for about 11 years. And during that period, the sun's magnetic field completely flips. So uh, the north and south poles of the sun switch places, which affects activity on the surface of the sun and it can have some flow on effects uh, on the earth. But since the 1800s, human activities have been the main driver of climate change, uh, primarily due to the burning of fossil fuels like coal and oil and gas. So we're talking here about sectors like energy, industry, like agriculture and transport that contribute heavily to greenhouse gas emissions. The United Nations body responsible for assessing the science related to climate change is called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and it releases updates on its impacts every five to eight years. Their latest assessment was released at the end of February, and it made for some pretty sobering reading. Yeah, it sure did. It said that the world has already heated by 1.1 degrees uh, and predicted that current global policies put the world on course uh, for at least a 2.1 degrees Celsius warming by 2100. Uh, That's why there are growing calls to implement more aggressive policies now uh, in order to limit the global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. Uh, And it's that sort of level where experts say that the worst consequences of global warming can be limited. And finally, scientists have clearly laid out that global warming will increase extreme weather events. Yeah, and how that works is a warmer atmosphere contains more moisture uh, and rainfall extremes become more frequent and intense. Uh, That's already being seen. We're also seeing extreme cold days uh, occurring less often and very hot days occurring more often. And that has an impact on the environment and animal populations and people's health. And when it comes to droughts and cyclones, the experts say that they can't make conclusive statements on that yet, but there's some evidence that those events are being exacerbated in some areas. 
Okay, so we've got a handle on the key weather systems and now climate change. But Claire, I think I need you to make the link there. Okay, very happy to. <laughs> uh, what the experts say is extreme El Nino and La Nina events may increase in frequency uh, from about one every 20 years to one every 10 years by the end of this century. That's a very pessimistic view of the science, but it's in line with estimates for greenhouse gas emissions in the coming years uh, without any major emitters pulling back quickly. So get ready for the weather records to be broken year after year. That's a very quick gallop through climate change. Let's get into what this means for Aussies as we plan our futures. flooding disaster that Queensland and New South Wales have been through this year was just the latest in a long run of natural disasters to hit Australia. In our recent history, there were the Black Summer bushfires. Yep, they're definitely one to call out. That was late 2019 and into 2020. 25 people died in the fires and experts say that 445 people died as a result of smoke that suffocated our cities and towns that were often a long way from the fire front. Uh, the fires were huge. Mm. 7% of New South Wales was burned, for example. Uh, 3,094 homes were lost across New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, the ACT, Western Australia and also South Australia. Uh, it's tricky to put a final dollar figure on the cost, but the Insurance Council said that claims came to about $2.3 billion and more than $2.5 billion has and is coming from governments. And preceding those fires, Claire, there were a string of debilitating droughts which hit the country from about 2002-03 onwards. Yeah, it was devastating for rural communities and costly for governments in drought relief. About $8 billion uh, had been spent on that drought relief to the end of 2019. Uh, and of course, those farmers weren't producing as much as they could in good times. So there was a huge impact on our economy as well. These recent floods will be expensive too. Early estimates say the bill will be about $2.2 billion and the Insurance Council warns that will rise as more people get their claims assessed. But Claire, big insurance payouts and rebuilds were also completed in the wake of previous floods. Yeah, and that's where we get into some very difficult questions. Uh, that Insurance Council uh, said that on the data gathered since 2015, 2 to 3% of homes are in frequent flood zones and 15% are susceptible to flooding. Uh, so it's calling on state and federal governments to commit to more than $2 billion over the next five years to make communities more resilient to floods. For its part, Claire, the Federal Government's Disaster Recovery Agency is looking at this and former NT Chief Minister Shane Stone runs it. He says inundated homes and businesses on floodplains shouldn't be rebuilt. Yeah, Shane Stone's known for his straight talking. Uh, he actually said, and this is the quote, uh, you've got people who want to live among the gum trees. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Their house falls into the river and they say it's the government's fault. Um, and you can imagine that that quote drums up a fair <laughs> bit of controversy. Yes. Uh, but the bigger picture, he said that Aussies have to have, and this is the quote, an honest conversation about where and how people build homes. He said that taxpayers can't continue to pick up the bill for these huge catastrophic events. Yeah, and for a place like Lismore, which experienced its second major flood in five years, people are wondering how and if they can rebuild. 
Yeah, and this gets to the nub of the problem. Uh, If people don't return to their homes, where do they go? Mm. Uh, Some residents of flood-affected areas have been very clear that they just don't have the money hidden somewhere to fund a new home and a move uh, to an area less prone to flooding. Um, But it has been done in the past. Yeah, and in the recent past too, the town of Grantham in Queensland's Lockyer Valley is an interesting case here. It was inundated by the floods in 2011. Yeah, it's an incredible story, this one. Um, Twelve people died in Grantham when a three-metre wall of water rushed through uh, in January 2011. It was one of the really sad stories of those Queensland floods. Mm. Um, The mayor was an American environmental engineer and he put together a plan to stop it happening again. What he built was what they called the Grantham Land Swap, where land at the top of the hill nearby was gazetted for new homes. It took 11 months and it cost the federal and Queensland government's $18 million and 90 families in that community moved to higher ground. Uh, It's a small community. It's nothing like the size of Lismore, but it's an interesting case study nonetheless. Yeah, it really is. And that move has become an international example of how to move a town that's particularly susceptible to natural disaster. And it's an example of some of the tough decisions looming for many communities into the future. That's your shortcut on wild weather and climate change. Now on to recommendations. Claire, I don't know about you, but I can't read enough about the stories of survivals from the floods. Uh, I've actually linked to an interview on Channel 7 with a 78-year-old woman who was winched off her roof in Lismore. She was waiting two days for the chopper to arrive and she said that she just went into survival mode. It's just incredible, isn't it? Mm. Um, Doing this shortcut for me saw me revisit the Australian Academy of Science website and it just reminded me how good their climate change information is. So if you ever need some quality information about it. It's a really great place to go. All right. Thank you very much for listening in. If you like what you've heard, please tell people about our shortcuts. They're also available in written format on our website. You could also leave us a review or share a link on socials. Just spreading the word helps us grow. And there's plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to as well. Until next time. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.